This is ContraZoom, a live in limbo production. This is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm Dakota Arsenault, and today uh, we are going to have a special State of the Cinematic Universe episode. I am joined once again uh, by my good friend Sammy Felchenfell. How are you doing tonight? I am well. How are you? I'm good. We're going to be talking about some comic book movies, amongst some other things, which I know is uh, really your area of expertise. My time to shine. (laughs) (laughs) Show me up with all of your immense knowledge. I guess that's one thing I do want to point out is, as we're going to be talking about these different things, I'm sort of going to be approaching it purely from a movie standpoint whereas you have a lot more background history and knowledge as far as the comic books themselves go so i'll be looking for you to kind of fill in the gaps of of what some of these things might mean and how they influence the movies themselves for sure and you can just say it i'm a nerd that's where that comes from (laughs) i know i know i didn't want to be like oh yeah you're a nerd in in a cool way like the the big bang theory everyone's a nerd yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, a, let's make fun of you. Actually, a nerd, nerd. Right? Yeah, that that's what it is. I'll, I'll accept that. <laughs> Good to know. Um, now, I think the first thing we want to say is that there's going to be some spoiler talk. We're not going to go super in depth, but we are going to talk about the new Justice League movie. It obviously just came out, so if you haven't seen it yet. We're going to avoid some of the bigger plot points, but, you know, we're definitely going to talk about what happens in the movie with some of the characters and what their futures hold. So if you are really worried about that movie being spoiled, which I don't know why anyone would be, uh, based on how relatively poorly it's doing, um, then don't listen to this episode yet. I guess that's probably, that's probably the best thing you can say. Um, and then we're also going to talk about Thor and some other things. So both of those movies did just come out recently. So it's going to be a little bit more fresher than our Blade Runner episode, which we recorded a about a month or so after that movie came out. So I feel like that was an appropriate amount of time to you know be like, hey, if you hadn't seen it by now, like that's kind of your own damn fault. Yeah, I think I think it's fair now to 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 just kind of say. Spoilers up front. We we'll, we'll try to avoid them if we can. <laughs> All right. Let's first talk about Justice League. We uh, managed to convince uh, two of our friends to go see this with us. Uh, so that was kind of a, a fun little movie adventure. Uh, and I think we all kind of walked out with uh, very different levels of enthusiasm. Enthusiasm is the word I'll say because my enthusiasm was negative. <laughs> I I didn't have quite as negative enthusiasm. And then of course our friend who hasn't seen any movies in this universe but still had it other than Wonder Woman but still had a pretty good experience with it. Yeah. Um so maybe maybe let's start with what worked for this movie as opposed to what didn't work because I feel like that's a longer <laughs> subject. So right off the bat, what's something positive you had to say about this movie? Um, it was by far the most fun Superman I think we've seen on film basically since Superman Returns and even potentially before that. Um, even Henry Cavill has actually said today and yesterday that this is the most fun he's had playing Superman ever. Um, it's a character who smiles. Um, and I'm not going to say spoilers because even though he's not part of the ad campaign, 
it's generally known he's in the movie for some period. I won't even say anything more about that. Um, but for me, that was a highlight. I've always been a lifelong Superman fan. So just having having Superman smile, <laughs> having a more fun Superman, I think worked really well. Yeah, I, it's weird. For me, I, I'm pretty sure I saw the original Superman at some point growing up, if not parts of it. Uh, between that the Brandon Routh movies. Uh, I watched a little bit of Smallville here and there. And then the first two Henry Cavill Superman movies, I'd always thought he was a pretty boring, terrible character. <laughs> I, I could not understand why he is literally like the epitome of superheroes. Superman is number one. Like why, why is he the most popular? What about him makes him interesting? I never was able to figure that out. And I agree with you. This was the first time where I actually was like, Hey, that was actually a pretty good Superman interpretation. I kind of liked him. I will say right off the bat, and this is a big talk about amongst comic book people, at least the ones I talked to, Superman is super overpowered. So throughout his 75, 80 years, they're constantly trying to depower him or put him up against villains that are somehow even more powerful than he is, which just gets ridiculous at a certain point. So, you have to come up with stories that are a bit more character-driven with him. What that meant is that that you had the first film, which was kind of his origin story, getting to know himself. And then the second film was, let's, for no reason other than because of movies, let's put Batman versus Superman. And so you have pouty, angry Superman. So it's a bit of a weird... Uh, it's a, it's a bit of a weird thing. And now I think there's an opportunity for him to just be the Boy Scout that he's been for 80 years. Yeah, uh, that, was, that was definitely interesting. I, you know... Uh, I wasn't super on board with Henry Cavill as an actor until I saw him in uh, The Man from Uncle. Uh, did you see that movie? I didn't, and I really want to. And everybody has told me that it is, that that him and Army Hammer are amazing. So it's really funny, and like the movie drags super hard in the third act when everything gets really actiony. But like those those first two thirds of the movie is a damn good movie and if there was if guy Ritchie had shown a bit more editing restraint in the third act that would easily have been one of the best movies that year that it came out uh there is there is a phenomenal movie in there and i think henry cavill and his natural charm paired up with army hammer who we know has great charm they worked so well with each other where it's like these two big brutish guys that are all muscle using their kind of sarcastic wit against each other worked really well and i think we finally got to see him bring that sort of character to superman finally right yeah um now other than just henry cavill i personally with the exception of Ben Affleck, who I didn't think was bad, I think he just kind of phoned it in and was boring. Uh, almost every other supporting character, sorry, every supporting actor, I thought did a great job. You know, their characters were all had their own issues, but I thought every actor did as best of a job as they could with the material. I completely agree. I think I, I was very pleasantly surprised by Ezra Miller's Flash. Um, I've up until this season, I've been a big fan of the TV version of the Flash. Um, and I, I, I wasn't upset that they cast a different actor. I think it was a requirement, but I was really impressed. I thought it was it was a little bit whiny and a little bit um, too much. But I thought it brought it really brought that character and kind of an early version of Barry Allen from the comics uh, to life. You're right. I think everybody, I mean, I, I'm going to agree with a lot of people on the internet. I think Aquaman was a bit too bro-y for me, but um, 
I'm really looking forward to his movie next year because I think there's a lot of potential there too. Um, but yeah, I think everyone sort of pulled their weight. Um, Jeremy Irons killed it as Alfred, as he did in Batman vs Superman as well. Like one of the one of the the, the shining lights in that movie. Um, I think you're. I think it really was sort of as much as WB is obsessed with Batman. I think that everyone sort of pulled their weight. Um, but I will say, like. The villain was terrible. <laughs> yeah, that, that is that is absolutely true. You know, I really like the actor that sort of portrayed him. I don't even know how much he did with that, other than the voice. I think he did a bit of motion capture, but like it was impossible to tell. That was that was yeah. just such a mess. Syrian Hins is a great actor. Um, he had a small few episode arc on on Game of Thrones as the original. Um, uh, wild thing king uh, for people that might not know who he is he was great in the first season of rome as julius caesar um and he kind of pops up in a whole bunch of things and he's always a great actor and for this i didn't recognize his voice you couldn't they didn't at least they didn't include his face in the character like that was just a, a hot mess yeah, that's that's the best term for it by far. Um, I, I still want to say a couple other nice things. Um, I, I agree with that. I thought Ezra, Ezra Miller was great. You know, part of a negative thing was I thought at times he was a little too much for me, his personality. But I thought they did a really good job as far as introducing him and not giving, not allowing him to grow and change too much, uh, which is sometimes a problem with these movies. When they introduce a character, they try to throw giant arcs for them and make them completely different. By the end of the movie, the flash is still pretty much the exact same person as he was at the beginning with a little bit more outgoingness to his personality, uh, but still remained a lot of the same traits, which I appreciate and hope that they can kind of more organically grow that character. Um, and then I'm blanking on the actor who played Cyborg, Ray Fisher, I think his name is. Is that it? I think so. Now I have to look it up. Oh, I'll, I'll <laughs> praise him a little bit. Like, uh, I was looking up his IMDb profile and like every once in a while, you know, big movies like this will be like, oh yeah, we're trying to get someone new or a, a newer actor. And you look on their IMDb profile and they've been acting for 10 years. They just haven't had a big break. No, this guy is like brand new. He did like new, two yeah. episodes of TV and then got cast in this where you can't get much more of a fresher face for such a big role than him. But I think that's a good. It was it was an interesting choice for them. I think first of all they knew they knew they needed a, a they they needed something that wasn't cyborg isn't really that big of a character and they needed someone he is still a member of Justice League and has been for a long time in the comics. But I think they needed someone who is kind of side a bit more side of the bigger heroes. But that worked out well because he was an integral part of the story and his he had the most I think arc in the movie and I think it it paid off the best. Um, of everyone i think other like flash and aquaman it's very much you can tell that their movies are coming even though the flash one's in the balance whereas cyborg you know that he it, it was very clear seeing justice league that he's not getting a movie till later but he's an integral part of the team he almost seems a bit like the way that not to get too much into mcu yet uh the way they are treating the hulk where you know he's going to be there as a large supporting character for a little bit and sort of see where his character grows before making any sort of big decisions i really like the the pathos he brought to it i think 
Uh, he was a victim of, uh, poor script decisions where they started to explore things. And every time they, they got some really good stuff about the character, they pulled it back instantly. And we were left with only like little crumbs of moments of what could have been. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, and I, you know, I, I sort of liked Aquaman's broiness to an extent. Um, <laughs> you know, I think Jason Momoa brought a, a real, you know, beefy ruggedness to his character. You know, he obviously has the look down, uh, but I thought it was kind of a nice contrast where he sort of was out machoing both Superman and Batman in his own way. The only thing that sucked about him was his underwater stuff. The only good stuff about him was above water. And that's interesting because James Wan, who's directed Aquaman, just finished filming for it, has talked about that the way he's handling the the in-water stuff is completely different. So... I think it's sort of setting up wait for the Aquaman movie to get a good sense of that because it's going to be it's going to be a challenge to film a a movie that's going to be a, a huge part underwater. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and do it well. Yeah. Uh like I don't know, it doesn't seem like it was a show that you would ever watch, but in Entourage there was a plot point where uh the actor on that show got cast to play Aquaman and uh most of the time whenever they would have them act in movies it's really hard to have a actor playing an actor acting in something else there's too much meta-ness in it and it never works out um so they only ever show bits and pieces of it he got cast as aquaman and they don't show you anything you know they showed him filming it james cameron was directing it um and then they finally show at one of the premieres, there's a scene where it's at, uh, the Coney Island fair and there's this giant tidal wave coming and he's running down the boardwalk and he rips open his tuxedo and he is about to jump in this giant oncoming wave. And then the theater is suffering through a heat wave and the film gets burned. But that's all you see is this great moment of him battling the elements. And like, that's what you want. That's what you want an Aquaman to do. And I think those moments where Momoa is battling the element while being above water were some of the like real highlights as far as the actiony moments go. Yeah, I think so. And I think I, I will say uh, I, as a, and a segue to a general highlight, honestly, I think a lot of the fight scenes were actually well done. I think for once, um, this is partially Zack Snyder because of his very bombastic style, which was seen at the end of Wonder Woman as well. Um, having a team to work with gave some flexibility and it was very comic booky and I kind of liked it. Um, and, and there's, there's some spoiler bits I won't get in, get into with that fight at the, in the climax, but there's, there's two kind of big fight set pieces that I think were handled pretty well. Um, and just, they had fun with it. You could tell that at the very least they were saying, let's, let's do something a bit more interesting and entertaining with this. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you say we start going into some of the stuff that didn't work? I know we're going to try to keep it a little brief as far as brief can go, but there's there's definitely some stuff that didn't work. Um, you know, I mentioned briefly the Batman character in the scripting. Uh, like, I don't, I don't even know what to say about this script. Like, the dialogue, for the most part, is pretty cheesy. They get these moments every once in a while where there's some real humanity to these characters and then it just goes off into cheesy one-liners again and they have no idea what they're doing with half of these characters where they keep going in these weird subplots and then anytime they get somewhere it's like oh never mind we're gonna just completely drop this subplot and move on to something else yeah this is this is very much i think a mixed case uh there's two factors here one is 
um, uh, Batman versus Superman wasn't as successful as they hoped, and everyone said it was too dark, so they started to make this movie lighter. And then the other side of it is, of course, Joss Whedon came in to finish the film and did some rewrites. It's clear. It's very obvious where those moments were. I think there are some genuine Zack Snyder jokes in there still. Um, but at the end of the day, Batman is all of a sudden a comedian. And in, in the last movie, he was the complete opposite of that. And now everybody has the one-liner. Everybody has a joke. Certain characters that fit. Barry Allen has always been a wisecracker. He's sort of, he's not like Spider-Man, but there's a little bit of a sim- similarity there. Um, Cyborg has always, at least in recent portrayals, has been very kind of like a more fun person. But Batman's not a fun person. Wonder Woman usually speaks very... Wonder Woman's a lot more like Thor before the current Thor movie than than the, the way she was portrayed in, in the, the film, although the leadership stuff was there. I agree. The, the writing was very disjointed. I think it was just sort of a, let's make this more fun. And there were some genuinely funny parts, but you could, but it was just, stuff was happening. It made no sense, just jumped around. And it was sort of a, um, I, 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 I am someone who does own the ultimate edition of Batman versus Superman, and I'm sure there will be a three-hour ultimate edition of this film as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think some moments that really didn't work for me, there was, I think the biggest one was, to put it lightly, I guess, uh, the return of Superman, where Superman finally comes back, and they're worried about what ha- might have happened to his brain or anything as else, his consciousness, his soul, whatever they want to call it. Uh, he comes back, and he's this super evil dude for th- 30 seconds and then all of a sudden he sees Lois Lane and it's basically that plot point is completely dropped. They make one passing joke uh, later between Batman and Superman, but that just seems so out of place and was not explained and he was just cured so quickly and then he goes to Kansas and has the worst cheesy dialogues with Lois Lane and I think Amy Adams' character probably suffered the most in the writing by being given absolutely nothing to do. Yeah. I think, I think the biggest, I was, I've been thinking about that one scene a lot because that is Zack Snyder to a T. It's, I want to see these ridiculous people fighting each other. There's no reason for, for, um, Superman to be shirtless in this scene. Um, I didn't mind, of course, but there's no reason for it. Um, and it was really just a, okay, let's have all these new heroes have got together. Let's make sure they fight him. And that, and that's literally what I think Zack Snyder walks into the, and not just him, obviously, but it's the people who are going towards his vision and just walks in and say, this is what I want. And in theory, it sounds good because I'm sure in the comics, this exact thing has happened like 30 years ago, but it doesn't make sense anymore. Um, and you're right. It just sort of got cured. And really from that point onward, it was, it didn't feel as much like a Zack Snyder film other than visuals. Um, if I may, speaking of visuals, this is some of the worst CGI I've seen in a big budget movie in a long time. Um, you and I both basically said at the end uh, that it seemed like stuff in the foreground was focused on, the background was left um, left alone. But there were some pretty questionable moments. Um, there were a number of times when we see CGI version of Batman, and it looks like something made in the 90s. Um, I could pretty much tell every moment that Henry Cavill's mustache was CGI'd out, and it did not look good because there were a lot of extreme close-ups on his face. Um, and there were just some moments... That it, I don't know what was going on with it. Some of it looked incredible and some of it just didn't. And it was very inconsistent, which bothered me when Thor had a smaller budget and had much more consistent visuals. Um, so, so I mean, I still liked a lot of the stuff they did, but I really wish it would have been on the same level the whole film. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think another weird sort of subplot was 
I actually read an interesting comment where they where they said there was no subplot to this movie. It was all A plot. There was no B plot or C plot to this movie. You know, you had a little bit about Lois Lane going on, but that really didn't go anywhere and there wasn't enough to really consider that a subplot. The closest thing to a subplot was this Russian family out in Chernobyl uh, who's there for like the second half of the movie and they're supposed to be all terrified, yet these demons that smell fear completely ignored them after yeah. they found them. Yeah, that that I've seen a lot of people write specifically about that family, that that was the closest attempt to a B-plot. But you're right, really, it was just, here's the story of the Justice League. And if you read any modern Justice League comments, comics, um, I'll call out Dark Side War as the most recent kind of big event, there are a million different things going on at once. And so the payoff and the kind of the reward to the readers in the last couple issues, everything sort of comes together. And it's like, wow, that was cool. That was well done. And they really, I think they missed an opportunity. I think they went too far with it in Batman versus Superman. There were three or four at once. Um, a lot of them literally just ended in explosions, which made no sense. Um, whereas this movie, they're like, let's just bring the, bring the band together. And that's that. Um, and I think it was, yeah, I think, I think we can't at a certain point, I feel like this version of this justice league movie was written years ago before stuff started hitting the fan really with, with the DC EU. And I think that they just sort of went with it. And that's that. So <laughs> that's the best I can say about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't even, I don't even really know. Um, uh, I felt, I felt like I had one other really big thing. Oh yeah. We, we, we talked about it briefly with, with the bad guy, Steppenwolf, which I, I know that's a real villain in the comics, but like, for real, that is the one of the worst names possible. And like every time <laughs> they would say, it, I'm like, you mean like the band Steppenwolf? Like that's all I could yeah. think of. It's funny because I'm pretty sure, uh, if I remember correctly, Steppenwolf was created as a, as a villain after the band already existed. Which is like a terrible idea. Like that's all I could think about. Anytime they said, "Oh, we're out to fight Steppenwolf," I'm like, the band. Are they going to show up? Are they going to use their music in the soundtrack? Like, wh what's going on? And this so, is like, the thing. sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, Steppenwolf was. Uh, I'll speak to this more in a moment, but Steppenwolf was a very strange choice for the villain for this movie. But I'll get back to that in a moment. What were you going to say? Well, I was just going to uh, talk about the the idea behind the choice of this villain was bad because. We've seen time and time again, the most successful comic book movies have an engaging villain that we want on some level to either succeed or we can relate to or understand their plight. You know, we're going to talk about yeah. Thor in a little bit, and the villain is one of the reasons why that movie was successful. You look back to the other Marvel movies, and the reason why they keep going back to Loki is because Loki is the best villain that they have. The movies that work the least are the ones that have the terrible villains, the faceless monsters, the nameless faceless monsters, things like that. They never work. They're not memorable. They don't add anything to the story. You're just like, okay, can you just punch him until he's dead and then move on to the next thing? Yeah. And so, so I think that's why, so the biggest, there's, there's a few really big bads that sort of spread across multiple characters in DC. Doomsday is one of them, mainly because he's known as the only one that killed Superman. He was already used in the last movie. So, and, and Doomsday really is a, a nameless, faceless kind of thing. It very similar in, in the comics. It's sort of a vehicle for another bad guy. Um, but then you have Lex Luthor who, in a lot of portrayals has been really well done because he's a very conniving person. 
And he's just a human, and he's a human who's always a foil of not just Superman, but usually multiple DC villains, or sorry, heroes. But the biggest DC villain is Darkseid, and he's sort of, I wouldn't say he's like Thanos, but there's a lot of similarities to Thanos in the Marvel Universe. And I honestly thought they would go right into Darkseid in the first in the first Justice League movie because he doesn't go away. There's always Darkseid always tends to come back and there's different plots, but he is legitimately powerful enough to take on the entire Justice League. So I thought, okay, what better choice? Steppenwolf's a bit of a minor character. He works for Darkseid. He's actually Darkseid's uncle, weirdly enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it seemed it seemed like a it. I think it very much was a laying the groundwork for Darkseid to be a big villain in the next door, like the third movie, um, and just sort of be kind of like what Avengers is building up towards with Infinity War. But it's, again, WB saying, okay, let's just throw somebody in there. Let's get the film there. Like, there there could have been significantly more interesting villains uh, that they could have gone with. Any number of villains that just weren't this over-the-top, okay, I have to collect some MacGuffins and then, uh, and then take over this Russian town and then turn it into Sokovia and everything's the same. Like it, I think that there were other routes they could have gone down and it just, it really, it's funny because I said after this, this is my second favorite movie in it, of all the DCEU movies, but then there's a long gap to, uh, to Wonder Woman because Ares, without even seeing Ares, the idea of Ares was such a compelling villain, um, more so than Steppenwolf at least. Um, so I think, yeah, I just, I don't know what they were thinking. I, a lot of DC fans were sort of shaking their heads saying like, of all the people they could have chosen... <laughs> Yeah, and I, and I think compounded to that is having a horde of minions to basically be the main obstacle to overcome. We've seen that in a few Marvel movies, and that's also a really unsuccessful tactic. You know, in Age of Ultron, Avengers 2 Age of Ultron, the horde that Ultron unleashes terrible and i think yeah. they did the same thing in what was it, iron man 3 where all of iron Man's suits come to life mm-hmm. and he has to fight all of them like it's happened a few times and every single time it's obnoxious and it doesn't do anything it doesn't add to anything the characters don't have to overcome anything they just literally have to punch harder and that's the biggest problem is that had this this movie come out 10 years ago even seven years ago predating avengers and iron man 3 this would have been the first one to do it. Because parademons have always existed in, in DC Comics. It's just that, okay, you see that Marvel has done this, do something different. Mm-hmm. You have to do something different. You have different characters that can tell different stories. That's why Wonder Woman was so successful. I liked at the beginning when they were trying to figure out what these parademons were. I thought they did a really interesting job. You know, when Batman, uh, you know, used a petty thug to lure one out by making the thug scare because they're attracted to fear. I thought that was interesting. And yeah. then when the police station, when a little kid draws a sketch combined with the other eyewitness testimony and they think it might be Batman. I thought that was really interesting and they could have really played that up as being sort of like a, a nega Batman sort of thing yeah. and, and how that combines with each other. And then they just completely sort of drop that. And then once again, uh, as far as the police stuff goes, I thought J.K. Simmons was completely underutilized and completely. the scene he was in was kind of an annoying, let's get back to the plot scene. I think it was very, uh, I, I, we probably shouldn't spend too much more time on this movie because no, we could, no. but um, I think that the feeling I get more than anything is that when they started working on this film, which was before Batman vs. Superman came out, Warner Brothers said, this is a franchise, we're going to release two to three films a year. And then now the, the, it's completely changed. Everything has changed for them. And, I, and it's hard to say where things are going to go. We're going to come back to that, I think. Like, um, 
soon as well. I got really excited when Simmons was announced as cast because he posted a picture of himself working out in a gym and his arms were massive. And Simmons is not a young man. Like we all know what he can do and we know how intimidating and intense he could be in in a role like Whiplash. We also know what kind of an authority figure he can play by doing J. Jonah Jameson in the original Spider-Man movies. All all I kept thinking is he's going to shout at someone for pictures of the Spider-Man. I just wanted that (laughs) to happen at some point in this movie uh <laughs> obviously that couldn't have happened but no yes, yeah so like we, we were led to believe that we would be seeing this new version of commissioner gordon i know they're trying to show that with the tv show gotham by having a younger version and i thought that's kind of interesting even though that tv show isn't that great I thought they were sort of going to bring that sort of, you know, toughness to him. And instead, we get him in, what is it, two scenes, literally two scenes, once in the police station and then once at the bat signal? Like, Yeah, it's. I think that's a, like, he was definitely underused. I think it, it was at the time, like, hey, we're going to make the Batman movie. It's going to be pretty soon. Now it's unlikely that either they're going to make the movie soon or whether it's going to be part of the same universe. It's It's a whole, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, now... You said earlier, I think this is going to be my last comment, um, this is the second best DC movie right now. There's four, five of them? Five of them? Five of them, yeah. There's five of them. I agree with that. And that's not a compliment. That is damning no. it with the faintest praise that you could possibly give. And if we were to, say, compare this to the Marvel movies and say it was uh, the fourth worst because that's what essentially what we're saying is this is the fourth worst DC movie. Yeah. Compare that to the fourth worst Marvel movie. It doesn't hold a candle. Like I would say the only Marvel movies that are objectively worse in every possible way are the incredible Hulk. And depending on your feelings of Avengers two. Yep. And even that I think definitely had more redeeming qualities to it. Definitely. I think, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a sorry state, and I think that uh, that it's just it's it's what every studio is doing right now is trying to make the cinem- the cinematic universe in one fell swoop, which wasn't even the the vision after Man of Steel. Man of Steel was just a new Superman movie in the vein of of uh, Batman Begins, and I think they could have gone a different direction, and then things just sort of flew out of proportion because Warner Brothers got greedy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we're going to leave it at that. We're going to talk a little bit about Thor now, uh, Thor Ragnarok, the third entry into the series. Uh, this was a movie I was very excited for ever since they announced that Taika Waititi would be directing it. The first Thor movie, I really, I, I actually didn't care for it that much. The parts that I didn't like most were the Asgardian moments. And I know everyone was like, oh, it's so Shakespearean. I just found it to be a annoying ripoff of Errol Flynn movies, uh, which, you know, aren't perfect in their own right. But it was just a bit of a ripoff of that. The second one I quite enjoyed, which I think is kind of considered a bit blasphemous in, in some Marvel circles. Uh, <laughs> I don't hate the Natalie Portman character and Kat Dennings characters. Sure, they're not fantastic, but I don't despise them as much as everyone else does. And I thought the relationship stuff was fairly interesting in the second Thor movie. And then so I went in with kind of high expectations, especially with Taika Waititi. And being such a fan of his last two movies, uh, Hunt for the Wilder People and uh, What We Do in the Shadows, which if you have not seen them, please go see both of those. I cannot recommend them enough. Um 
I was blown away by Thor. I think it might be up there as being the best Marvel movie, maybe. I think that's that's a potential thing you can say. Um, I think that that uh, Civil War is still high up there for me, but that's but that's because I got into Marvel comics right when Civil War the comics came out, and they're not great, but the ideas behind them were good. And to see like ten years later, Marvel so successful, successful enough to bring like forty characters together to be able to do Civil War was a big deal for me. But I think Thor Ragnarok was probably the most fun superhero movie I've ever seen. What I thought was interesting is. Thor's progression as a character, which is something we're going to touch on after this, comparing them. But, you know, we first get Thor as when he's introduced to the world as being this sort of fish out of water character, much like how Captain America was sort of introduced to the modern world, uh, where he doesn't understand earth customs and how to behave. He's a little socially awkward. Um, and then as he sort of gets more accustomed to that, his bravado really sort of comes out. The mm-hmm. idea of him being a god in his home planet, he sort of brings that attitude with him to Earth. And when those two personalities catch up, they've got some great aspects to it. Because, you know, as a character, as a person, he is a pretty infallible character. He is the god of thunder. He comes from a line of royalty. He, you know, is usually the strongest man in the room. He is the only person that can lift a magic hammer. All these sort of things. There's these great traits mixed with a sort of socially awkwardness work really well. And the way Chris Hemsworth brings all of it together, it just hit an absolute apex under Waititi's direction, allowing mm-hmm. him the freedom to improvise when need be, but also Waititi's script being so solid that the beats he needs to hit, he hits them with a punchline at the end. Yeah, I think I, I was just going to say on top of that is that like we is one of the probably the few characters in in the MCU that we've actually seen a logical progression from the grandiose Thor. It's sort of similar, but a bit more kind of uh, getting down to earth in the second Thor. And then especially from Avenger, like the Avengers 2 to this, it's logical. It's not like all of a sudden he became this comic character. It's just that this is him in his own world and his relationship with with um, with Bruce Banner and things like that. I think I, I, it was just so much about it was well done. Um, but yeah, I think the script from the starting point, I, I have to imagine Kevin Feige in the Marvel office, just like crying, laughing when he's reading this and saying, okay, this is going to be a hit. And just knowing that right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And you, you bring up the, the, him with Bruce Banner, the Hulk, I think Mark Ruffalo, you know, he kind of has a history of being a really good comedic actor when he's put in that role to succeed and yes. allowing him the freedom to be over the top funny, which off the top of my head, I can't think of a pure, pure comedy role that he has done. You know, he first kind of came to my attention being in romantic comedies, uh, which I feel like he might have been a bit miscast in. And then he started doing some really serious work. Uh, you know, he was in Spotlight. He was in Foxcatcher, uh, doing some great serious acting there. And now the way he's kind of been able to combine the seriousness with the comedy that he can in this franchise i think has been really excellent in the scenes of the hulk and thor going back and forth with each other of the two strongest people in this universe was fantastic to watch yeah and i think actually i will i will mention that my favorite comedic role for mark ruffalo is actually eternal sunshine and spotless mind um not necessarily a comedy but his character 
I always just remember as being ridiculous and funny. Was he the doctor? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's been so long since I've seen it. For some reason, to me, I don't know why it just seemed seemed really funny. Anyway, um, I think yeah, I think that there was a, that this was an incredibly well cast movie. Um, I think there was a lot of potential. I want to talk about Kate Blanchett because Hella is. It was honestly quite overpowered in the movie, which I kind of liked. Um, just like kick-ass um, character, you don't need to do a lot of development, and I think she did a really good job with it while also chewing chewing every bit of scenery she could. Um, you could tell that this was okay. I'm being cast to be a villain. I'm going to have a lot of fun with it, and it really played off. I think to her benefit, she wasn't. I mean, in my mind, she wasn't really that scary or menacing. Like it's Thor, and the the way the movie plays is, you know, things are going to be as as all right as possible, and then it plays with those expectations really well too um but i just liked her like she didn't need to be terrifying she just needed to be good yeah but i think she kind of did bring a bit of terrifyingness to it by making the stakes more personal when she first takes over asgard and uh she decides that she is going to execute people one by one until everyone bends their knee to her i thought was excellent and brought some real fear to her character and then when we learn her backstory about where she came from about her and odin's past it sort of really puts everything into perspective especially this idea of loki where sometimes we get kind of caught up and be like yeah i know loki is the god of mischief but you know he's still thor's brother and odin seems to be such this peaceful guy and i'm blanking on what their mother's name is um I think Frigg. Frigg, yes. Uh, where it's like, how did he become such a bad guy in the family when we can look at their family dynamic and see, wonder where that sort of came from that other than being, you know, the god of mischief. We understand that. Yeah. But like, how does that translate to being a bad person, an evil person that wants to murder people, things like that. And I think explaining Hela and Odin's past and how Odin was the biggest destructor in the galaxy was fascinating and we could see how that might have rubbed off on Loki. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think and I think it was a well-written. I mean, to be honest as much as I also like the second Thor movie, it's probably the most forgettable villain in any Marvel movie. Um by far. I actually don't remember anything about him. I just remember the other stuff that happens in that movie. So, um, so, so I think it was nice to have someone like Hela. And then I think to, to an extent, um, uh, uh, Jeff Goldblum was a villain. Um, but in like the, the most Jeff Goldblumiest way ever, I have a feeling Taika Waititi's team basically sent him an email and said, Hey, we want you to do this. And before Jeff Goldblum finished reading it, he said, yes, uh, that he just had, too much fun with the role and it played off really well for this this grandmaster character it was just amazing it's, i still think about it and laugh <laughs> i know i think you know if you if you've never watched interviews of jeff goldblum which you definitely should because it's amazing he's always funny in the interviews where he basically plays a caricature of himself taking himself super seriously. I've seen, I've seen several interviews where, where he does it. There's, you know, a famous one where he's like, people always ask me, is your last name pronounced Goldblum or Goldblum? And I always say to them, why are you speaking to me? Like that sort of just epitomizes this Jeff Goldblum character that he sometimes does in interviews. I think he just basically did that for this whole movie. They put on some lipstick on him in a gold robe, a tacky gold robe at that. And it was just absolutely fantastic to see that where just like, just be as sarcastic as you want and just dry and 
play it all up and yeah. everyone will eat it up because it's hard not to like watch him in movies or in interviews and just lap up what he's doing. You're like, yes, make fun of me. Please tell me what a horrible, ugly person I am and things like yeah. that. Yeah. It was just I, like, it just added to the color of the movie. It was just a bright, colorful, very entertaining from, from start to finish fun movie. It was just, mm. it's, it, I, I think it's hard to review. It just, it was, it was fun. It was funny. It just was, uh, I mean, it wasn't without it, its faults. There were some very strange things that just happened for no reason, but whatever. It was it, it was done in such a way that I didn't care, whereas in, in a movie like Justice League and especially Batman versus Superman, I kind of like, why did they do this? Okay, that was another bad decision. Why did they do this? Yeah, yeah, I, I've... It's it's amazing what they what they managed to do to it, and you mentioned the bright colorfulness to it, and I think the color palette of the movie itself helped make it successful. Uh, I've been feeling some of the Marvel movies have been getting really gray and brown, where everything just sort of blends in and looks very machine-like. Having this pop of color of mostly green, purple, and bright blue was, mm-hmm. was absolutely fantastic to see uh, that you can incorporate such colorfulness to it, and it really brought a sense of playfulness. I look at what the trailer and the artwork for Black Panther is looking like, and I think they're really going to take that to sort of the next level of injecting a color palette that we have not seen in a superhero movie before. Yeah, but in a stylized way. Like, there's there's gritty dark for no reason, and then there's there's using colors. I mean, film noir looking at Blade Runner, using colors and using light and shadow to serve your purpose. Thor Ragnarok was, this is the end of the world, and then let's let's have fun with it if it's going to be the end of the world. And I think that's what they did just from the day the logo came out. Everyone knew this was going to be a special movie, and it was going to be a different kind of superhero movie. Absolutely. Uh, All right. Uh, We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, what all the universes are looking like. So we talked about Justice League and Thor. Now we're going to talk uh, about what's kind of the futures holding for both MCU and the DCEU uh, and, and how things are looking up. You know, after the success of Thor Ragnarok and earlier this year, Spider-Man Homecoming, uh, there was a third Marvel movie this year, wasn't there? Guardians. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Uh, all three, you know, were, were pretty close to Grand Slams as you can get mm-hmm. as far as how the company is looking back at it and what we know is coming up. The fact that they are successfully introducing smaller and smaller characters as far as popularity wise. And with each one, I'm actually more excited to see. I'm tired of seeing 
Batman and sorry to say it, Spider-Man and Superman and Iron Man and those ones that we just know about and we know their stories. The fact that Black Panther is coming up next has me really excited. He was fantastic in Avengers 2 and that whole world uh, looks fantastic. He wasn't even in Avengers 2. He was in Civil War, sorry, which should, Civil have been, War. should have been Avengers 2. <laughs> which is basically Avengers 3. I always, yes, I always exactly. forget that. Yeah. Um, and then we also got uh, Captain Marvel coming up. We haven't even seen what Brie Larson is going to be like in this, and I'm very excited. And the fact that – who did they just announce was cast in that? Oh, they just announced someone a couple days ago who's going to be playing her her uh, mentor. Oh, uh, Jude, Jude Law is going to be Marvel. Oh, yeah. yeah, which is – you know, I'm kind of scratching my head a little bit, but like – at this point, who am I to really question their casting decisions? <laughs> um, if they utilize Jude Law in a way that p- really plays to his successes as an actor, uh, I think that's going to be really interesting to see. And then, of course, we're going to get another look at Ant-Man, which, you know, had its flaws. But I think up until Thor Ragnarok was the funniest movie of the <laughs> bunch. And they're really going to expand on the Wasp, which is um, Evangeline Lilly's character, is going to be really interesting. And then from there, like, I don't even care about the Avengers movie. I just want to <laughs> see what these new characters are going to be like. I think it's going to be interesting. We have, um, I'm looking at the MCU schedule, and it was, I think, three years ago now or two years ago when they announced literally up until 2019 um, and we are following that schedule they've made a few changes in humans became a tv show that we won't talk about because i just don't want to um and a few other changes along the way but yeah avengers is avengers is next may it's very soon um but the whole thing is and, and this is what i'm seeing online is that black panther is the focus of course till february and then it's going to be a very intensive push to kind of set up uh, Infinity War, and then the reason Ant-Man and the Wasp and Captain Marvel <coughs> excuse me, um, the reason those two movies are between uh, the two Avengers films is, is a lot of people are saying that that Ant-Man might take place before Infinity War, um, and Captain Marvel takes place in the past, so that it sets up for whatever happens in um, in the, the next Avengers movies but I just like, it's, it's, it's the same thing you're saying I think after the next two movies First of all, I fully expect a bunch of characters to die so that we can get a bunch of new characters. Um, I would think uh, sometime around mid-next year, Disney's going to do an announcement of about three or four more years of Marvel movies because they're confident. They do super well. Half of them make a billion dollars now. It's easier for them to be successful, and at the end of the day, they're good. They're generally good movies. Even Spider-Man, uh, like I didn't even see the Amazing Spider-Man movies as much as I love Andrew Gar- Garfield, but I saw Spider-Man Homecoming and I absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. And they're just, it's home runs. There's, there's a good amount of creative control, but also giving the filmmakers enough creative freedom as well. Um, and I think you're right. I think after Ant-Man and the Wasp and Captain Marvel, we're going to see a lot more of these characters. We'll get another Doctor Strange. We know for sure there's another Guardians of the Galaxy. We're definitely going to see more, more Black Panther and Captain Marvel. I'm, fingers crossed, so hard for Kamala Khan, who's the current Miss Marvel in the comics, um, who basically is just a huge fan of Captain Marvel, and I'm really hoping she shows up at some point as well. Um, just also to, to even have even more diversity, because it's taking until uh, 10 years after Iron Man to have a movie that, is, uh, that has a, a female uh, hero in the title, and as, as essentially as a lead. So that's something they're working on. Um, and it's, it's a little, they're kind of dragging their feet, but I am excited nonetheless. Um, if I may though, you have the DC extended universe, which, uh, I learned recently Warner brothers doesn't even call it that. Um, it's just the DC, uh, the DC universe or DC film film universe or whatever. Um, five films, uh, kind of came together really quickly. 
The only ones we know for sure are coming are Aquaman, Shazam, and Wonder Woman 2. And the reason for that is basically Aquaman's done. Wonder Woman 2 has a contract because it was so successful. We know it's happening. And Shazam has just been cast, and that's kind of on the, on the way. We now know Shazam may not even take place in the same universe. We know that there's a Flash movie eventually coming, but who knows? Cyborg, there's a consideration for his movie, but... There's just it's it's a question mark. Warner Brothers doesn't know what to do. They have a unique position where Warner Brothers owns DC, so they actually have all the licenses, unlike Marvel, where it's spread around to different um, to different uh, film houses and different uh, producers and things like that. Um, but I, for some reason, I think DC. I think that that right now the rest of this year is Warner Brothers. Uh, boardroom scratching heads and saying, "What do we do? How do we how do we write this ship? Do we turn every movie into Wonder Woman?" Um, which I don't think is going to be possible, or or what do we do? Um, and there's two very different trajectories here. We are re- there's a lot of superhero films released every year. People will only see the good ones, and <laughs> that's the end of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I I didn't want to see Justice League. That w- this was definitely one that you know you brought this up months ago by saying we should do a podcast episode about it. And that was kind of my impetus to really uh, be like, all right, yeah, I'll see it. Um, but I think the success of Wonderland made Wonder Woman made me excited to see what they would do with it because I really liked that character and Gal Gadot's performance. So I was, you know, I, I was willing to see it um, and went in with a bit of an open mind, but like, you know, I think that's completely opposite with Marvel where I'm actually excited. You know, I'm not seeing all of them in theater. Some of them I'm waiting for them to come out. Like I didn't watch Spider-Man until uh, a few weeks ago. Um, mm-hmm. it took me a while to watch Doctor Strange, even though I really love that one. Um, but I, I still really want to see them all. I think it's interesting how Marvel has decided that they are basically, they, they made a conscious decision to stop announcing future movies until after the Avengers sequel is out. Which and that's on, that's on purpose. Yeah. Which I really, you know, you mentioned that you think that there's going to be some characters that die. And I think if some characters do not die, I will be very disappointed because, you know, a big problem with a lot of these movies is you go in and you don't feel worry or fear for the main characters. You know, whatever adversity they have to overcome, they are going to overcome it and be victorious. If there is not sort of some loss you know, we got that a little bit with Avengers 2 when we were very briefly introduced to Quicksilver and then they killed him off literally in that movie. There has not been uh, a big character death yet. Yeah. I think, and I think that's um, the. I think that's partially why Marvel also is keeping the name of the fourth Avengers film for 2019 a secret. I think it's going to play. I honestly, I'm tempted to say we. I know this is not not going to happen. We may not see more than a single trailer for the second Avengers movie of the two that they're making back-to-back, because the first movie is the trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, they're being released literally a year apart almost to the day, um, and it's basically going to it's gonna end, I think the first one will end with a major character dying, the second one's going to have other major characters die. At the end of the day, half of these people, their contracts are ending, and they cost a lot of money. Uh, so that's that's part of it, and also it's it's clearing the way for new new characters to really continue and, and kind of take up the mantle a bit more as well. Yeah, like... Uh, I'm going to make a bit of a sports metaphor here. Um, when you are building a championship team, you know, your players are going to be expensive 
to keep re-signing. So you need to make sure that you are drafting and developing well so that way you can replace them with people who are not going to cost as much but still be able to fill in the production that is needed and asked yep. of. Uh, and this is probably something that you'll be able to speak to a bit more than I can, but there are different iterations of the actual Avengers lineup. Uh, the one that we have right now isn't even, I think, like the proper official original Avengers lineup. They've kind of mixed and matched it a little bit with the most successful and popular well-known characters, but they're already clearly showing that they're going to introduce a new one based on the way Civil War ended. They're, you know, you've got Vision and Scarlet Witch and Doctor Strange and Black Panther um and ant-man and those are all brand new characters that could theoretically now lead their own avengers movie without iron man and captain america and thor and the hulk yeah it's just it's it's really a what i love about it is the the avengers on film is sort of uh okay who do we have the license to okay now they're an avenger um like in like the spider-man is an avengers um the scarlet witch is very on and off about be, uh, being an avenger visions an avenger um but then then it's sort of like take out kind of the 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 captain america the iron man the thor and it's like okay let's find other people and i, I that doesn't bother me um at all because i think that, that that's a better handle on it whereas the justice league has a lot on the comics have always had a very less rotating um, thing it's always sort of been the seven or eight characters um most of which now we've seen on film that there'll be a green lantern uh, eventually i'm sure um and then the martian manhunter too who i don't think will ever make it to the film to film unfortunately but um it, it's it's interesting because i don't think warner brothers has the same flexibility to be able to do that no they also seem to be putting all of their eggs into the batman superman basket yeah which i think hinders them because Unlike Mar, like comparing them just on, on comic book level, DC to Marvel, literally, I said Superman is the number one superhero you think of. Batman is the absolute second one. As far as the Marvel side, you know, you kind of have Spider-Man, but he doesn't reach anywhere near the notoriety that those two get. And outside- however. However, Spider-Man is the biggest merchandise vehicle of any superhero. Uh, yeah, yeah, he yeah, he, like I'm not I'm not trying to underplay what he sort of means to the comic book world. Um but outside of him, you know, we can talk about how Iron Man is super popular, but before the movies Iron Man was not popular. Like barely anyone knew who he was if you weren't a huge yep. comic book geek. Um like Marvel doesn't have that sort of same characters. Granted, you know, we're going to talk about it a little bit after this, uh, you, you, the X-Men, the Fantastic Four, things like that. X-Men, I feel like their popular culture, you know, they had the cartoon in the nineties and then the X-Men movies in the early two thousands really brought the, the prominence to them. But outside of Wolverine, it's not like, the rest of the X-Men were household names before these sort of media explosion. And, and that's something that Marvel, I think, is able to be lucky for is we don't have preconceived notions. I don't know what a Captain Marvel is supposed to look like or act like. And, and there's been three or four already. So, like, it's just the current Captain Marvel we're getting on film. Mm-hmm. Um, Ant-Man, like, I had, like, no idea. Like, that was, that was, I know, the biggest gamble for them to take after all these ones were successful. You know, in the comic book world, Thor was popular, Hulk was popular, Iron Man, Captain America, they were all sort of popular getting their own movies. Ant-Man was not popular in the comic books. In fact, I know there's a large portion of comic book fans that actively hate Ant-Man, the character. Yeah. But I think it it, it all comes down to, at the end of the day, 
DC or Mar- Disney's pur- purchase, first of all, of Marvel. I think that they sort of took it in, said, who who kind of has the reins of this, and really gave them creative control. And then Kevin Feige, in one sense, and then saying, okay, Joss Whedon, make these Avengers movies. Now um, now we also have the Russo brothers doing the new Avengers movies. We have um, James Gunn, who's in charge of kind of the cosmic gar- Guardians of the Galaxy, and just said, go do it. The other side of it was Kevin Feige is not a film. He's a producer. He's not a, a, a creative, I guess. Um, he's a creative guy, I'm sure. But then you have on the DC side, you have Jeff Johns from DC Comics, who has always been a, a, a favorite writer of mine. He's sort of the Kevin Feige role, but really it's Zack Snyder who is the creative and saying, here's how I feel all of the characters should be portrayed. Go. And I think that was that's probably one of the biggest, other than of course putting all the eggs in the basket. I think that's one of the big divides there. Whereas we know we have preconceived notions of Superman, Batman, even Wonder Woman to an extent. Although I think her portrayal in her movie, even more so than Justice League, was phenomenal. Um, whereas you're right with the Marvel characters, we know them and we like them, and there's certain ideas we get to them, and they're just they're written well and they're played well um, in a lot of ways. So I think that there's, I, it's just it. People make these comparisons and talk about the two universes. At the end of the day, I think it's going to be five years from now. We're still seeing new MCU movies that we're still going to see, and I don't know what DC is going to have. I, I wouldn't be shocked if they are trying to reboot things. You know, I mentioned to you, I read a comment where people are talking about in the DC doing the what was the the, the Flash storyline? Flash. Flashpoint. Flashpoint, yeah, where he travels back in time, and when he goes back to the modern time, you realize that when you mess with time travel, things change, and uh, characters are different, and that's a way that you can either recast or cut out Batman completely, because, you know, the grumblings of Ben Affleck, he originally was supposed to direct the Justice League movie, or the next Batman movie, and that's not happening at all, and soon as that, as soon as he was announced for that, I was like, oh, I like Ben Affleck as a director, I think that's really interesting. Maybe yeah. we'll get something interesting. And the fact that he doesn't even want to direct or even act in it anymore, supposedly, uh, you know, I know that story changes every week, um, yeah. says a great deal of what's going on where they can conceivably either do this flashpoint and either make it a minor subplot or make an entire movie about it. Have, you know, much like Anthony Hawkins do his final goodbye, uh, make Ben Affleck do a final goodbye, and then that's it. Or, you know, just completely scrap it and have uh, Bruce Wayne being different. I know in the Flashpoint storyline, it's supposed to be his father that becomes mm-hmm. Batman, and he's a much more violent uh, killer, ruthless killer than, than Bruce Wayne is. Um, well, in this universe, then he's going to be on a murderous rampage by yeah. comparison. The thing about Flashpoint is that Flashpoint had a payoff. It wasn't the best storyline, but it, it was used by DC to completely re- reboot their, their uh, books about six years ago um, to try and bring in a new audience, which they've now essentially undone and are writing a different story as to why it's been undone. But the thing about Flashpoint is he goes back and now you see all of these different versions of characters you already know. You see pretty much, other than Wonder Woman, you see pretty much all the, the regular Earthbound heroes as different versions. And so there's something interesting about that. We don't really care that much even about Ezra Miller's Barry Allen yet, let alone Bat- the Batman, the Superman, all these different characters, where I think Flashpoint, I, I get why they're doing it, and I think that it will be an, a way for them to change things up, but they also want to do a Nightwing movie, which is essentially the original Robin grows up and becomes his own superhero, um, and uh, and then he, in, in, some, in some of the books, he becomes uh, Batman himself. There's about seven or eight different Robins that all eventually become Batman, so there, there's, there's a lot of options there. I think I think Warner Brothers is going to, honestly, I think they're going to release the movies they have planned. Um, so at minimum, Aquaman, Shazam, Wonder Woman 2. And we may not see another 
anything until 2020, and it could be just we're just going to do the mini characters and the and the Justice League just exists in the background, and we just leave it at that. I would love to see another Superman movie, um, a sequel to Man of Steel with the new Superman essentially we have in this movie, the the different the different version. But I think Warner Brothers is going to cut their losses at this point and focus on what they know is working. Yeah. Um... Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we, we, we talked a lot about what's happening with the DC universe and the Marvel universe. And this isn't like the only things where this is happening. And it's kind of crazy how it seems like everyone else is having these universes. You know, Fox has X-Men and Deadpool. I don't know if they're eventually going to connect or not. They seem sort of incompatible with each other, the way they're trying to present the, uh, the tonal, uh, differences between them. But that's part of the joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Obviously, that, that's a bit of a joke in Deadpool, but it's it's weird that, you know, the X-Men universe kind of completely is ignoring it so far. Although, to be fair, since Deadpool was released, we've only had one X-Men movie, and that was Logan. Um, yeah. So we don't really know what else is sort of happening with that. But, you know, they've got their own thing going on. X-Men are Marvel characters, but Fox... You know, for anyone that doesn't realize it, back, I think it was, what was it, the early 90s when Marvel was on the, the brink of bankruptcy, they decided to sell as many rights as they could to different studios to yeah. just pay for the lights to be kept on at their comic headquarters. And that sort of really come back and bitten them in the ass now that they're successful because they can't get X-Men and Fantastic Four and things like that. And it's sort of really hindering them as far as what storylines they can pull from, from the comic books. Um, and it doesn't seem like none of these studios want to give them up because they know they're worth so much. Yeah. And that's the big thing is that I don't think we're ever going to see, uh, unless the rumors turn out to be true and the talks go through and Disney buys Fox, um, Fox film, um, which I don't think is going to happen, but that, that would bring X-Men back and, and the Fantastic Four back to the Marvel, the Disney Marvel fold. Um, the X-Men movies have been profitable. They've been successful. I think Brian Singer's first X-Men movie really did set off the last two decades of very good superhero movies and also not great superhero movies as well. Um, but their, their universe is sort of incongruent, but still successful. So I don't think they really care that much compared to Sony, who's now cut the deal with, with Disney for Spider-Man. Sony now is going to have their own, what they call Sony's Marvel Universe, which is literally just all the characters in the Spider-Man license, except Spider-Man, except Spider-Man will still sort of drop in, but it's not connected to the MCU. And then there's going to be movies on other characters. It's very complicated. And unfortunately, a lot of the Spider-Man characters aren't that great the villains are great but there's not a lot of great heroes in the spider-man universe other than miles morales who is another spider-man essentially um who they're not going to do so it's kind of a weird like it's it's just a universe that doesn't make sense they're just calling it that mm-hmm. um it's it's i think it's just whoever has this has a superhero license just says okay how does this print money i want to make that work um but we've talked about this in a previous podcast i think um the cinematic universe thing only works if, if every every single aspect of it is on board and you put the time in. So you can't just release one movie and call it a universe. Looking at Universal with their, their monster movies, uh, Dark Universe, they thought The Mummy would be this massive billion-dollar tentpole, and then they could release all these other movies, and now we have a repeat. And I don't think Bride of Frankenstein's even going to be made at this point. Um, you just can't launch a universe off a single film. Nobody knew when Iron Man and Incredible Hulk came out 10 years ago almost, 
that they was going to launch all these other films. There was just a little snippet at the end, and if they if things were successful, okay, we're going to see things connected. A couple of years later, we learned about the Avengers, and it made more sense. But it's still taken a lot, a number of years to get to that point. Yeah, they they want the quick and easy payoff, and that's not something that is easily done with these movies. The problem is when each one costs you know three hundred, four hundred million dollars to make market and everything else that goes along with it. Uh, you don't want to you know drop you know two billion dollars just to get to where Marvel is at that they can do an Avengers movie which is basically what ended up having to happen is you have to drop that kind of money in order to get there. And people want to be like, well, you know, these studio execs want to be like, well, let's just do one and then go right into it. And it doesn't work that way because the problem is you get introduced to how many new characters was that in Justice League? Three, four new characters where they didn't have the time to properly develop them all. And sure, they seemed interesting and they had good moments. But at the end of the day, like, I don't care what happens to Cyborg and, you know, Aquaman was kind of cool but like i didn't learn anything about him yeah i think what's really interesting um the incredibles 2 teaser came out uh this past week um the first incredibles movie came out in 2004 which i think was the beat like we had just gotten spider-man we got a couple x-men movies we're really starting to get into these superhero films now we're seeing incredibles 2 come out next year kind of at a very different point in in the, the the world of superhero films i think the first incredibles is one of the best superhero films ever made uh, I will I will live and die by that comment. Um, but I think the se- the second one's gonna gonna really cut in. Even though Disney owns Pixar, obviously, and it's a Pixar movie, is gonna cut into the cinematic universe uh, concept for sure. There's definitely gonna be jokes about it. Even though what's amazing is this movie literally takes place five minutes after the end of the last one. There's no all this time later. There's there's likely gonna be new characters, but they're probably gonna be introduced in a hilarious way, not in a let's shoehorn them in and that's that. Um, and I think that that's going to, it's going to be the, the critique of super, superhero films now, just like it was then. I think, you know, I, I don't think that's some sort of shocking revelation to say about The Incredibles. That's a very beloved movie, easily one of Pixar's best. Uh, and as far as a superhero movie goes, it works as being a meta critique on the genre itself. And it's almost, I would actually almost compare it to a family friendly version of The Watchmen. it's actually very similar yeah you know they both kind of have jokes about why you shouldn't wear capes you know in the watchmen it's a guy going through a turnstile and gets his cape gets caught and it chokes him to death and then in the incredibles when uh, he goes to get a new uh costume he wants a cake a cape in it and uh, the costume designer was it uh, edith Edna, and, uh, and based on the costume designer Edith Head, that's why I always get yes, confused. Yeah. Uh, Edna, who lists all the reasons why superheroes die because of capes and things like that. Yeah. So it's kind of like a nice meta critique of capes are stupid. You don't need one to be a superhero, even though that's what we think of when we think superhero. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to kind of go back to X Men and like, I really wish they had more continuity of being good you know the first first x-men when i saw that that movie genuinely terrified me with the intro at auschwitz and things like that they did a fantastic job of really setting up that and it was kind of a really good fun one and then the second movie was also great and then the third movie was utter shit like the third movie movie was taking three or four different ideas from the comics, but not choosing which one they want to focus on. Had they just done Dark Phoenix, which is what the next X-Men movie will be, it could have been a good movie, but it was just, nope, 
And then first class was fine. We got a quasi opinion. reboot, and I, I actually really yes. liked it. I liked what yes. they were doing. I liked the casting. I liked the setting and the atmosphere. It was kind of a cool, you know, sexy 60s, swinging 60s vibe to it. It was really yes. great. It had its flaws for sure. And then Days of Future Past, I thought was really interesting conceptually, but they kind of really fell flat with it. At the end, you're just like, oh, it's not that good of a movie. even though I, like, I, It's actually my favorite X-Men movie. Really? because. I think because it was the most, it was a, okay, here's everything we did. And it, it was kind of, I, in my mind, it was a bit of a love letter to both the X-Men movies that had been made and also superhero movies in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was handled reasonably well. I actually hadn't, haven't read um, the original comic, comic uh, the books of that in a, in a long time. Um, but I, I liked it. I thought it was ridiculous and silly. And it was very comic book over the top, especially with the Sentinels and everything. It reminded me, probably, I think it reminded me the most of the, the beloved 90s animated show yeah um but and then uh and then apocalypse i never even saw because i heard it was bad <laughs> it was yeah it was it was so bad uh you know uh, oscar isaac's one of my favorite actors right now and what a terrible performance by him another sort of faceless villain sort of thing going on don't you mean ivan ooze because that's what everybody said he looked like I don't even know who that is, so I can't comment. From the, from the Power Rangers movie. <laughs> oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we get Logan, which might have been, you know, one of the single strongest comic book movies ever put on screen, uh, which was really fascinating what they would do as far as what happens when, you know, we're facing mortality. And mm-hmm. I thought Hugh Jackman, who I'm not a much a fan of as an actor, I like him personally, but I don't like his acting. I thought gave a phenomenal performance and Patrick Stewart elevated, absolutely elevated the entire craft of what a superhero acting performance could be in that movie. Yeah, definitely. I think, and, and that's what's funny, but I think Logan is, everyone's basically said Logan exists in a different universe. Like it's a different future for the X-Men series. Um, so that they can keep making like the next one is dark Phoenix, which I think is set in the nineties. Uh, just it, it's all over the place. And then Deadpool makes all the jokes about there's only a couple of X-Men. And I think in the new one, there's only a couple more that make it into the Deadpool movies. So it's just sort of an all over it. But I think that there's a bit less taking themselves seriously now in, on the Fox side, not for fantastic four, because that movie from a few years ago is one, not only one of the worst superhero movies, but one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Um, but I think for the X-Men side, they're starting to just sort of have a bit more fun with it. And I think Apocalypse aside, that's really what's what's helping them succeed. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think they have completely poisoned the well for Fantastic Four characters ever being accepted in a movie now. Like there, there's just no way that anyone is going to be excited about a Fantastic Four movie at this point. But it makes me so sad because Doctor Doom is one of the best villains in the comics by far. And he needs to be in an Avengers movie because he's a genuinely terrifying, he's never been played that way on the films, but he's a genuinely terrifying, but also really intriguing villain. And he's also a bit of a foil for, for Iron Man, just as much as he is for the Fantastic Four. So it would have been awesome to see him come into the, into the rest of the Marvel fold. I, people will say it'll happen. I don't think it ever will. Cause you're right. I think now the goodwill around Fantastic Four is gone for a bit. Yeah. Like, I, I have not seen any of the original two or the new one. Um, the, the first two seem super cheesy and I know some people like it for its camp, but it was not one that ever like interests me. me. Uh, and then I was really intrigued by the cast that they had for the new Fantastic Four. I really like Michael B. Jordan. It was uh, a waste. 
Yeah, who thankfully they now have him in the new Black Panther movie playing a villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't mind Kate Mara's acting. I think she's in, interesting. Um, uh, what's the other guy's name? Miles. Miles Teller, yeah. Miles Teller. I really like him. I think he's an interesting actor who sometimes chooses bad movies. Um, and then who's the fourth one? Oh, um, Jamie Bell, who's Jamie not Bell. really... He's barely in it. Like yeah. the, the movie, the movie was written. It was, it, you can tell it was written by committee. It was edited by, edited by committee. It was three or four different movies all at once. And it was just, you could see that the actors had a terrible time making it. And that's a sad sign for any movie, let alone superhero movies. Mm-hmm. Like that's a fantastic cast. And the fact that it crashed and burned. And then as soon as the movie came out, literally everyone threw everyone under the bus, just left a really bad taste. I think in everyone's mouth that there's no way they can go back to that. Like even if Marvel, you know, announced say that they bought it and they were going to do a fantastic four movie, that would be like, Mm, that's probably going to be the first misstep. Like without, that's going to be my first reaction, honest reaction, even though I know Marvel so far hasn't had a huge miss. I think that the, if we're, if we're playing that hypothesizing game, I think the only thing that would happen if, if Marvel got the rights back, they would be characters in some other movie. Mm-hmm. It would be a movie about something else. And we're introduced to, to maybe uh, we're introduced to um, like maybe Johnny storm for some reason, or doom shows up. We, 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 I don't think we'll ever get a full movie from them, but there'll be side characters or they'll help out in something. Um, and that'll just be it. Like in the, in the comics, um, there's something called the Illuminati, which is uh, all the, essentially all the smartest heroes um, so you have, uh, you have like Mr. Fantastic, you have Iron Man, you have Doctor Strange, you have Black Panther, um, and Marvel has almost all of them. And then usually their big villain is Doom, um, or any of the big, like they don't deal with the cosmic stuff as much. They really deal with them with more of the earth stuff. Um, and so there's such a potential there to just sort of throw them in. Um, and, and, but it's not, it's not going to happen. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I briefly mentioned there that Michael B. Jordan is going to be in the new Black Panther movie. And from what I can sort of see in the trailer, I think what the thing that makes movies like this successful is having stakes that matter and people are tired of uh, villains that seemingly with a push of a button could destroy the entire universe. People, I think people are getting really sick of, you know, everything is the fate of the universe. Yeah. And it seems like what we are seeing in the Black Panther trailers is that it's going to be a, you know, not to use the word Shakespearean, you know, offhandedly, but almost a bit like, uh, Hamlet, uh, Macbeth-esque, where there is a battle for the crown. It's more about this interpersonal relationship between uh, how Wakanda should be run. And then you've got like these outside forces more being like uh, the poacher character played by Andy Serkis, which mm-hmm. I think is far more interesting than having a giant universe crushing monster. Yeah. And I think that's even like honestly even for thor the it it was about asgard it's not about the universe it's just ragnarok's a big deal because it's going to destroy asgard but it wasn't it's going to destroy everything Mm -hmm. um and it's and i think that that's it's sort of the obviously i don't want to give too many spoilers because there is a bigger threat in in there too but i I think that's just one of the things that that yeah I, i think people are now kind of over the at the same time i think i'm ready for avengers infinity war because that is what it's about but it's yeah. being very upfront about it yeah 
Like we we can look back to you know sort of the the hallmark pinnacle of superhero movies is The Dark Knight. And the reason why that movie was so successful is because of the portrayal of the Joker and the fact that the Joker wasn't trying to destroy the world. He was just trying to cause chaos and throw a wrench into Batman's perfect life. He didn't care about anything else. And that worked so well because it was so much more personal, the stakes. And that's what yep. matters. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I know you had briefly mentioned, you know, wanting to talk about the Godzilla King Kong stuff. Is there anything you really want to say about it? I haven't seen those, so I can't really. Nothing to say. I think it, I, I just, I, I got to hand it to Warner Brothers and, uh, and Legendary, who's the, the production company, um, just for taking it slow. They never really said, they, they made Godzilla in 2014, then they made Kong Skull Island. They didn't actually make it a really big public thing until getting closer to the release of Kong Skull Island saying, hey, we want to have a universe where Godzilla and, Kong, and King Kong exist in the same universe. That's sort of it. The two movies have been incredibly successful. Um, two films have made over a billion dollars. They're doing another Godzilla film. It's a sequel to the 2014 one. And then the next year, they're doing Godzilla versus Kong. They're kind of going the slow route to Batman versus Superman. And then that could be it. I don't think they really need to do... Godzilla has a hilarious range of uh, kind of a rogues catalog of ridiculous villains, bad, bad guy monsters, essentially. So there's places to go with that. I expect Godzilla versus Kong will, of course, turn into a, turn into a team up of some kind because that's always what happens. Um, but it gives it gives potential to at least a company is taking a bit slower, taking only two kind of standalone, well known franchises that people actually don't know that much about, um, and it gives them that 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 license to just do whatever with it instead of something like DC or the Universal Monsters or even for for Fox and Sony's weird universe things. So I just I appreciate that somebody is trying something different. Does this mean we're going to get a Godzilla versus Mothra movie? I think I'm very much hoping, well, Godzilla King of the Monsters is the next one. I think we're going to have Mothra and a few others uh, <laughs> pop up there because it's supposed to be a, um, a dealing with a bunch of new monsters showing up. Oh, I'm reading, yeah, King Ghidorah, Rodan, and Mothra are all in it. And those are Godzilla's <laughs> big three bad guys, actually. So there we go. We're gonna, that one I'm going to have to see. I saw that. I didn't see the first one in, in theaters, and I regret that because it, it – the second one's probably going to be very fun. <laughs> uh, and, you know, not comic book related, but, you know, it looks like the Star Wars expanded universe is going to continue. Uh, I liked a lot of what Rogue One did, even though I thought it kind of ended poorly. I'd love the casting <laughs> that they had in that. Uh, but then we just get announced you know, about a month or so before uh, Last Jedi comes out is that Ryan Johnson has been given carte blanche to make his own spinoff trilogy that has nothing to do with the Skywalker storyline, which I think is going to be absolutely fascinating because as we've seen throughout history, Star Wars has such a rich history of being Mm -hmm. able to create whatever they want and seemingly making it work to some extent. Um, and if we can get that without having it tie into how are they related to Luke Skywalker or Darth Vader or Princess Leia or Obi-Wan Kenobi or things like that, I think it's going to be really interesting. Absolutely. I'm actually really looking forward to that. To be honest, I think the idea came from we're going to see something that's in the background of a scene in, in uh, Last Jedi. And he basically went to Kathleen Kennedy and said, I want to make more movies about this. And they said, yes. Um, I think it's it's about time we're finally seeing something that has nothing to do with the story we already know. It's it's we don't need any more of the chosen one narrative because that's what the main trilogy of trilogies is about. Um, it's going to be really nice to learn about this, the universe in, in Star Wars is supposed to be gigantic. So I want to see more of that. I want to see the culture. I want to see the people. I want to see 
other stuff happening. And even Rogue One, I actually really enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. I haven't watched it since it came out. But it was too much of it's part of the main story. Mm -hmm. And the Han Solo movie is the same thing. Whereas I think there's a really big opportunity for just casting a bunch of people, doing something different. I know once this trilogy ends, Lucasfilm's not going to want to do like 10, 11, 12 for a little bit, at least five, six, maybe more years. So this is going to fill in the spot. And I think it's going to be good. Yeah, I think they realize that there's real money to be made to releasing a Star Wars movie at the moment every single year uh, for the foreseeable future. And understanding that there is going to be fatigue if they continue the Skywalker storylines and showing the success that Rogue One was able to have with no recognizable characters, you know, with a few exceptions playing very, very minor roles, um, that there is a bit of an appetite for seeing what else that they can do. Uh, and, you know, if Disney is going to be making the Star Wars movie every other year or every year, they're going to need some new storylines. Yeah, definitely. And I think that this is a, this is a better point. I think people are going to have Skywalker fatigue very soon. (laughs) And it allows them to take their time and craft a good story. If they decide to continue after this current trilogy, you know, they don't need to worry about rushing the next one into production and figuring what are they going to do with, uh, with Ray or with, uh, Kylo Ren, if he keeps living or whatever else is going on that they can kind of really take their time and, and wait. And, you know, there is a nice sort of, uh, uh, appreciation value to waiting to see Harrison Ford back as Han Solo, you know, it kind right. of felt nice. There was some excitement behind that. And if, you know, they take some time off, if Ray lives through all this, take some time off, you know, five plus years and then bring her back, Daisy Ridley back, then that, you know, will be an event. But if they just keep doing it every other year, you know, you're going to get fatigued. Yeah, definitely. So I think there's, I think there's potential there. I don't even think of it as a universe. I think of it just every year there's this, uh, almost a sequel or just another film. Yeah. And that's, but it's, it's going to become reliable. This one, this year's release is on my birthday, which is nice. Um, and so it's just every December we can expect it. And Disney expects to make money. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> at, at this point between, between the Star Wars and, uh, and the Marvel movies, they don't have to make anything else and they can literally own a mint machine. Mm hmm. Uh, which is, which is fascinating. They've, they've really sort of capitalized. I think that's a sort of a, a debate for another day of whether that is good or bad. But I think, you know, we've rambled on long enough and, uh, <laughs> and I think that really covers a lot of things. Do you agree? I definitely agree and have fun editing this down if you can. <laughs> oh, I don't even know if I can. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> so music from this episode uh, is Teach Me by the folk singer Karen. Uh, you can catch her December 19th at the Horseshoe Tavern and January 27th at the Musiki Cafe in Kingston. Go to liveandlimbo.com to the show notes uh, where there's going to be links to where you can find her music and her social medias, or you can go directly to her website at karenmusic.com. That is Karen with a C, C-A-R-E-N-M-U-S-I-C.com. Uh, make sure you go to liveandlimbo.com, as I said, where you can see the show notes. There's going to be some stuff that Sammy and I talked about. Um and thank you so much for coming on again. Like I, I really appreciate when you when you do this. We always have such lively conversations. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for seeing Justice League with me. <laughs> yeah, next time I choose the movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, thank you so much for listening. If you've seen Justice League or Thor Ragnarok, uh, let me know what your thoughts are. You can reach me on Twitter at DGAPA or send me an email, Dakota at liveandlimbo.com. Make sure you follow 
yeah, I think that basically covers everything. So thank you so much for listening. I got a feeling in my bones.